Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. My guest today, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time, uh, Ricardo Spagni, the lead maintainer of Monero. Ricardo, how are you doing? Not too bad in yourself. Doing good. Thanks so much for coming. So, um, Cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah, just, you know, for guests that don't know much about Monero, maybe just its name, you know, tell them a little bit about the, uh, the token. You know, how does it work and what's the intent of Monero? Sure. So Monero is a, um, pro privacy project. Um, it's a cryptocurrency that's very similar to Bitcoin, uh, in a lot of respects. But one of the big areas where it's different from Bitcoin is that it is privacy enhancing. Um, and so where, uh, there's a lot of information that gets exposed, um, in Bitcoin transactions, such as, uh, the amount that's transacted and where the transaction is going to or coming from. In Monero, we, uh, either encrypt that data or obscure it, um, in a way that makes it, uh, hard for somebody to figure out. Yeah, I'm sure, um, a big group of people originally thought Bitcoin was anonymous. How anonymous or non-anonymous or pseudonymous do you perceive it to be? And then, I guess, compare that to Monero. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin, that, that is a, a sort of prevailing uh, prevailing thought, and it's a little bit hard to to correct that because um, I, guess, I guess that's just been the perception because addresses don't correlate directly to uh, a person, so you can't hop on to a Bitcoin Block Explorer and see someone's name or email address. What we found over the past, the, the past sort of, you know, whatever, whatever it's been, eight years, is that uh, Bitcoin actually exposes um, a lot of information uh, accidentally, or you know, sort of not not in a malicious way, but just by um, the nature of the public ledger. And so you can use tools like WalletExplorer.com, which is um, a, a pretty basic implementation something called wallet closure analysis. And using walletexplorer.com, you can take a look at, at transactions uh, and you can see like all the addresses in someone's wallet. And you can see that they withdrew money from an exchange and deposited money to another exchange. You can see all sorts of stuff like that. And and it's kind of frightening. It's like, oh, geez, you know, that's kind of... Uh, <laughs> It's kind of, kind of a lot of information that you maybe didn't want, uh, out there. So, um, I think that that's, uh, that that's the sort of thing that people are slowly starting to realize. So you can see that a given wallet 
again, it has, you know, five addresses in it, for instance. It sent money to Poloniex, it got money from Bittrex, et cetera. Can you tie that yeah. to an individual person? You know, what about uh, GPS coordinates or, uh, you know, how far can you take it with a little bit of work? So, so as, um, you know, if you're, if you're just sort of doing it as a, as an individual, you, you have a lot of limitations. Um, there's information that you definitely can find quite easily. Uh, people do things like they put their address up on a forum because they want to participate in a competition or want to get, you know, uh, like get a, a donation or whatever it is. And from that one address, you can uh, figure out the rest of their addresses and their wallets. So right. that happens, and that that's sort of easy information to track. Uh, but but sort of if you are law enforcement, you could uh, you could go to the exchange and uh, subpoena an exchange and say we want to know who this person is. Um, yeah, the deposits they made to your exchange, and the exchange can just look at the system and say, oh, it's Richard. Wow. Any other tools that you've heard of or um, capabilities to track transactions to an even uh, finer level? Yeah, like, I mean, there's, you know, like I said, WalletExplorer.com is is um, a, a sort of relatively basic implementation of the stuff. But there are companies like Chainalysis that uh, have tools that are far more powerful um, and are able to provide them with far far more fine-grained information. One of the things that uh, that they they can and do actually do is uh, they set up a bunch of nodes all over the world that um, that list and record IP addresses that transactions are broadcast from, and then they're able to determine the IP address that first broadcast a transaction. Right. And and whilst that might end up being like an Electrum server or whatever, you know, again, this is information that they can use to figure out the origin of a transaction down to the IP address of your phone or computer. It is pretty scary. <laughs> So not only is it uh, not anonymous, it's uh, more trackable than much more trackable than cash, and more trackable than uh, than other types of transactions. It seems it's crazy. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You, in fact, ironically, you get more privacy using your credit card because uh, even though there are a bunch of intermediaries that know your data, they're all under strict um, uh, privacy laws. Uh, they, they, uh, there's massive implications for how they store and process that data. So you. You end up with a lot more privacy swiping your credit card. That's not to say that wow. you, you know that you should rely on that privacy, but it is kind of ironic the the way things have played out. Um, you know, because we uh, we want Bitcoin to be a decentralized, unstoppable currency, um, and uh, and privacy has taken a, a bit of a backseat in that. So, how did you become aware of this, and and what drew you to uh, to look at Monero and work with it? So I was uh, I started mining Monero right at the beginning. Um, I was interested in Monero before it was launched. When the when the guy that uh, created Monero, thankful for today, when he uh, announced it, then um, I went and read the white paper and got interested in it and started playing around with um, with the source code. And the the big appeal to me at the time um, was were the privacy enhancements. Um, they had pre prior to that and even subsequent to that, they've been um, attempts at privacy enhancing uh, cryptocurrencies or digital currencies, but a lot of them um, have decidedly weak privacy enhancements. They either use centralized mixes or they use like a distributed mixer network, which is um, easily Sybil attack, or, or they disregard blockchain privacy entirely and just do one little privacy enhancement and then pat themselves on the back. 
but what are the, yeah, what are some of the um the privacy enhancements Monero has and yeah, let's go into that. Sure. So Monero focuses on four aspects to enhance someone's privacy. The first aspect is uh, we focus on making sure that um, somebody looking at the Monero blockchain can't tell where a transaction is going to. And so we use something called stealth addresses. And basically what that means is if you look at a bunch of transactions that are maybe all going to the same person, you wouldn't be able to tell because the address that they appear to be paid uh, that they appear to be paying is just like this random string or this random number each mm. time. And so even though they're all going to the same person, they just look like they're all going to different people. So that's uh, that's aspect one. Aspect two is uh, something called ring signatures. And we use that, use that to obscure uh, where transaction is coming from. Um, so, you know, you withdrew money from an exchange, but because of uh, the ring signature that gets created, you can't tell if that was if if that's um, a withdrawal from an exchange or it's one of a number of old transactions and new transactions that appear to be spent. So it's um okay. it's not this is this is probably the weakest part of Monero's privacy because it's such a a hard thing to do. But basically, it's choosing a bunch of old transactions and new tra- new transactions plus the one that you actually want to spend and then bundling them all together. And uh, mm-hmm. and obviously, like. It's not a perfect system, but it provides a reasonable amount of uh, of obfuscation. And then the the third thing is um, hiding amounts. So um, we encrypt the uh, the amount that um, uh, effectively encrypt the amount that uh, gets transacted, and we use something called Ring CT, which is based on Greg Maxwell's confidential transactions. And this basically means that again, to an observer. They can't tell how much money is being moved around, um, or you know, like the the value that is being paid, which is very important. Um, right. And then the fourth thing is uh, is, hi- is that IP address thing that we spoke about earlier, um, obscuring or hiding the IP address that a transaction originates from. And to do that, we have a system um, called Covery that we're busy building, and it's not complete yet. So this isn't something that's in Monero just yet. We've been working on Covery for about a year and a half, and uh, there's still quite a bit of work to be done before it's ready. And Covery is uh, basically a router that uh, implements the I2P protocol, and I2P is something like Tor. And so when Covery's uh, at a point where we can um, integrate it into the Monero software, then transactions will flow over the I2P network, which will then obscure and hide the IP address that they originate from. Okay, so let's go backwards through the four. So how does the um, how does the I2P network work? Just just well, basically, does it send a transaction over multiple hops you know, to different parts of the globe, yeah. or how does it work? So, so um, basically, that you're very similar to Tor in that you have uh, you you have sort of multiple hops that are the pieces of um, traffic flow uh, over to get from one point to the other. And so you can't tell what the real IP address is that they originate from. Um, and uh, ITP differs from Tor in a, a number of small but important ways. Uh, one of the big ways that it differs from Tor is that in Tor, you have to specifically run Tor um, and opt into being uh, a, root, an, uh, a node in the network that is also a router. And in ITP, just to connect to the ITP network, you become a router as well. So every participant in the ITP network is a router. And that means that at any given time, there are like 40,000 
routers on the ITP network. And that's obviously great for our purpose, which is to make sure that the small piece of traffic, the transaction, um, when it first broadcasts, is not in any way linked to our real-world um, IP address. And and so that's sort of uh, how it works. It broadcasts it out over these multiple hops, and then the rebroadcasts happen the same way. Do you think there'll be any? There could be any legal repercussions for someone using the ITP network? You know, oh, we discovered that you know because your computer was involved in uh, you know traffic from a bad source into a bad source. So by definition, you being a part of the network means that you did wrong, or you were uh, you um, know, complicit no, in bad I, action. I don't think so. I mean, the traffic that you're passing is encrypted, so it's not like you could um, you, you opted into to doing something. Um, you know, if your if your computer was complicit in uh, in anything, um, it did it unintentionally. Uh, and and the other thing is, you know, like even if you're like like uh, one of the early parts of or one of the early hops in a in a a sequence of hops or one of the late hops in a sequence of hops, um, your computer is not going to be identifiable. Uh, it's just going to be you know one of the paths that a piece of data took. And you know, there's because there's uh, there's no way to identify all the participants in the hop uh, or in the in the flow of traffic um, it's impossible to go after people and say like oh how dare you run ITP and and we we have a lot of I mean historically if, if anything like that was going to happen if there was going to be any legal grounds to challenge people um, routing on the, the ITP or Tor network it would have happened already and how about the amount how do you mask the amount in a transaction yet still make sure that the amount that's being transacted is being transacted. So um, we use something called commitments, uh, which is a, a clever uh, piece of cryptography. And basically, what a commitment says, or what a commitment is, is it's like saying, um, you know, here's a here's a, a cryptographic representation of the number of the amount that I'm, I'm uh, spending, um, but I'm not going to tell you the actual number, just this cryptographic representation. And the, the clever thing about um, commitments is that you can do arithmetic between them. Um, so you can subtract one commitment from another and you'll know if it, uh, if it ends up being zero. And obviously, um, you know, with the, with the transaction, uh, the, the Bitcoin and similarly the Monero transaction format, you have inputs and outputs. And so all we really care about is, is the amount being spent um, the same as the amount that's being sent? Um, and, uh, as long as the, the two commitments subtract down to zero, we know that there are no new coins being created out of thin air. And, uh, and so we use that commitment arithmetic to make sure that that, that happens. But because we then never go and, um, and expose the actual number, all that anyone can ever see is the commitment. Interesting. Okay. So does it matter the, the size of the transaction or is, is there any way to, to figure out? How much was sent in a transaction? Whether it was a really small one, a really large one? No, there's no way to to even infer that. Um, a, a very very tiny transaction will um, have the same size range proofs um, as a, 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 a transaction that moves a hundred thousand Monero. So you won't be able to tell at all. And what about the um, the other two features, um, the ring ring signatures? How does that work? I don't know if you can explain it without it being too complicated, but. You just go over that. So, so yeah. So I mean, basically, like the um, the the way it works is um, a ring signature is uh, a, a special type of cryptographic signature 
where one person signs on behalf of a bunch of other people. But you can't tell, you, you just appear to get this, like, this group of signatures. And you can't tell which of the signatories was the one that actually signed. And the clever part about this is that it doesn't, it doesn't require any sort of, of live connection to, to those people. All you need is their public keys. Uh, and we have the public keys on the blockchain. And so the, the, the net effect of this is I can create a Monero transaction completely offline as long as I have a copy of the blockchain. And I can go and pick random transactions from the blockchain. And then I can create this ring signature that appears to spend all of those random transactions plus the one that I'm actually spending. Um, and uh, to, an, uh, to an external observer, they can't tell um, which of those transactions is the real one, the one that I'm actually spending. Hmm. How many, um, I mean, if you picture it as a ring, how big is the ring? How many, uh, you know, clicks in the dial does it have? Or is that not so we have a, no, 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 that is. I mean, like, like um, there's a, a network-wide minimum um, of four. So, uh, in other words, um, you would then have your your old transaction or your transaction that you're spending, um, the output from your transaction, and you would go pick another three, and then you'd create a ring size of four, um, or ring of four signatures, um, and uh, and that's um, that's the network wide minimum. But uh, routinely, there are people that um, create much larger rings, um, you know, with a hundred transactions, twenty or fifty or whatever. And the only impact or the only difference between a large ring or a small ring is that the size of the transaction, physically speaking, um, becomes larger. And because uh, with cryptocurrencies uh, and with Monero as well, you pay per byte or per kilobyte um, of, uh, you know, that, that a transaction sizes, um, the higher the, the ring size, um, the more you're going to pay in miners fees. Why not have um, a series of interlocking rings or overlapping rings and make the entire Monero network act as, you know, a variable size ring from three to five, let's say. But again, the rings are, uh, they touch each other or they're interlocking. So things really get mixed up all the time. Well, that's, that's effectively what happens. Um, I mean, the distribution, the, the, the uh, algorithm that chooses the which transactions to mix with favors more recent transactions because what we found is um, people tend to receive money and then spend it pretty soon thereafter, oftentimes within a day or two. Um, and so we have to wait and favor more recent transactions in that selection algorithm. But basically, if you go take a um, an old uh, Monero transaction from you know a year or two ago, or, or well, let's say from the beginning of this year, it and you go check on the blockchain, you might uh, see that it appears to have been spent multiple times, even though it it actually might not have been spent yet, or it might only have been spent once, because um, mm-hmm. obviously you can't double spend. You know, there's <laughs> it either has been spent or it hasn't. But to an observer, right. it appears to be spent multiple times. You know, ten, twenty, thirty times, and you can't figure out if it actually has or hasn't. Hmm. Is there any technology you know of that can you know, explore the Monero blocks and determine and unwind the ring signatures for any of the other privacy features? Um, so like I, like I was saying earlier, the, the ring signature stuff is the weakest aspect of Monero's privacy because choosing the transactions to mix with is such a hard, uh, hard problem. 
Um, and basically that's kind of like our privacy arms race. Uh, you know, we'll come up with an improvement. Um, and then a researcher will say, Oh, but you know, I can, uh, I can deduce some, mix, some linkability, uh, or some traceability rather based on, on this little piece of information. And then we'll go and change the, the algorithm or whatever it is a little bit more. Um, and then a researcher will come along and say, ah, oh, but I can deduce, um, some traceability because of that. Um, so it becomes a bit of an arms race, uh, where you, you're always going to get plausible deniability, which is the most important thing. Um, but you're ne- we're never going to have a perfectly untraceable system, um, which is fine because the, the key there is the plausible deniability more than anything. Um, that a transaction, you know, because no one can say for certain that a particular uh, transaction is definitely the real one that was uh, that was spent in this transaction without going and uh, and cracking the private key for that transaction. Um, so you know they can suspect as much, but they can't uh, go from suspicion to fact um, without you know physically cracking the private key or knocking you over the head with a wrench until they get access to your wallet. And the first element you spoke about, um, how do you obscure the uh, address and transaction goes to? What comes from? I'm not sure so use, which one it was. Sure. It's, it's where, <laughs> where it goes to. So we use something called stealth addresses. And basically, um, where with Bitcoin, you pay to an address and that address is visible on the blockchain. Uh, with Monero, you pay, um, you, you get given an address which actually consists of um, two public keys. And what the software then does when you're making a payment is it does a Diffie-Hellman key exchange to get this little shared secret. Um, and then it produces a random or it creates, it takes a random value and it packs all of the stuff together and it creates a hash. Um, and, uh, and, and then from this information, um, uh, if you are the actual recipient, you scan every single transaction in the, in the blockchain as you receive it. And you, when you scan that transaction against your private keys, yeah, uh, you then you will it will reveal whether that transaction is meant for you or not. Also, oh, it creates, I guess, in one way, like a stream of transactions, and you're trying the key over and over and over, and all of a sudden it's over and over. Yeah, absolutely. You pull it out of the stream, yeah. and it's yours. Yeah, and so you know, you you might end up like if you receive one transaction a day, then you still have to scan all of the transactions for that day. Um, till you find the one that matches that is the transaction that you were expecting. Would that be a problem in terms of the time it takes as the, as the block size, or sorry, as the uh, chain size grows? No, I mean, uh, you know, we, you can easily scan on a, a, a sort of two, three year old laptop. You can scan, um, hundreds of thousands of, uh, of transactions a second. So it's not even, you know, not even close to an issue. Um, Right. Uh, you know, and honestly, if, if Monero is doing more than a couple of hundred thousand transactions a second on-chain, we have much bigger problems. Hmm. So what, because you're, it sounds like you're a real privacy advocate, what do you see as, um, as happening with blockchains in general over the next few years? You know, what, it sounds like they're going to be easily surveilled, most of them. Uh, what's going to be the role of Monero? Do you think other blockchains will, will ask to license your technology or adopt it? Or? What role do you think you guys are going to play? Well, I mean, Monero is an open source project, um, which is really powerful because it uh, it means there's no central point of control or failure. There's no company behind it. There's no um, Monero foundation. There's none of that. 
Um, and, and that, whilst that's really powerful, um, it also means that the only way that uh, Monero works as an open source project is with a liberal license. So we have um, the project um, license using something called the uh, BSD3 clause license. And that basically means that, that anyone can take the technology and use it, even for commercial purposes, um, as long as they retain the copyright um, notes, uh, you know, that it's copyright the Monero project. Um, so, so I would imagine that if anyone... Uh, if any blockchain project in future wanted to use um, uh, some of the Monero privacy enhancements or even just one of them, um, they they wouldn't need to ask permission from anyone. They wouldn't need to apply for anything. They would literally just go and they can grab the code and reuse it for whatever they want. Um, in terms of sort of where I see things going, I don't know if that's the... If that's really what's likely to happen, I think what's prob- what we're probably going to see is um, we're going to start seeing things like cross-chain atomic swaps um, uh, that will be possible with uh, technology like the Lightning Network. Um, and basically what that will allow is once Monero um, is plugged into the Lightning Network and Bitcoin is plugged into the Lightning Network and Litecoin is plugged into the Lightning Network, then you'll be able to 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 swap coins between um, the, these different blockchains, but all using the Lightning Network. And so I can swap Monero for Litecoin or swap Monero for Bitcoin. Um, and uh, and because this cross-chain atomic swap mechanism will be um, available and possible and instantaneous, right. people will be able to say, well, you know, I want to enhance my privacy. I'm using Litecoin. I'm just going to move the move um, some of my coins into Monero and then pull them out over time back into Litecoin. And there we go. Now you've enhanced your privacy. Um, so we won't necessarily need to have uh, blockchains all adopting privacy technology when they can just leverage um, systems like Monero and just move in and out of them instead. Oh, very interesting. Is it possible? I mean, is it possible? It seems like law enforcement is trying to challenge you know, Bitcoin mixers try to make them illegal. I mean, how do you think law will interact with technologies like Monero or mixers or any of the four privacy features you spoke, you spoke about? Um, so anything that is uh, that has a, a, a sort of central point of failure, even if it's a cluster, um, is uh, is really liable to get shut down um, by law enforcement or at least provide law enforcement with a, a an attack surface. Um, and so centralized mixes are, are clearly going to be um, targeted um, uh, and uh, other systems that use um, uh, some sort of distributed mechanism um, where there are, you know, anyone can, can run a server and then all of those servers participate in mixing coins. Even there, law enforcement can uh, can use things like the, um, the MSB uh, money service broker uh, licensing requirements um, in the United States to to force people operating those servers to either shut them down or get licensed. Um, so there's stuff like that that they can leverage, um, and and that's why those sort of mechanisms, whilst they might provide uh, privacy enhancements, um, they are unfortunately at risk. With something like Monero, it's impossible, really, practically impossible to shut down. Um, and uh, it's practically impossible to ban. Um, at the same time, a privacy-enhancing project like Monero doesn't prevent law enforcement from doing their job. 
um, it doesn't uh, restrict or hinder them. It just prevents passive surveillance from um, from picking up uh, false flags or from uh, or, or picking up uh, the wrong people, people who might be innocent. Um, it prevents that sort of stuff from from uh, from working, and it instead instead forces law enforcement um, to to switch to active surveillance, where you know they have to first suspect somebody of a crime before they can go and surveil them. Well, very good. Um, so, what do you see? The last couple of questions here. Just, what do you see as the on the roadmap for Monero for the next six months or you know up to two years? What are some of the big uh, things that are coming up? Uh, so, Monero um, has uh, is still a very young ecosystem, um, not being based on Bitcoin's code. Whilst it has been really exciting and it's given us the opportunity to build things up um, in a slightly different way than Bitcoin in some places, and exactly the same way as Bitcoin in others. Um, and, and we've used Bitcoin as an inspiration for, for pretty much everything. Uh, whilst, whilst the sort of building that out has been really exciting, it does mean that, um, Monero does not play well with any existing Bitcoin systems or Bitcoin derived systems. Um, and so everything has to be developed from scratch. Um, and so things that I'm, I'm looking forward to in the next six to 12 months are, um, there's a slew of, uh, of wallets coming. Besides the official Monero GUI, there's uh, the My Monero uh, mobile apps um, that we've been building out, and uh, those will, those will provide quite a slick, lightweight uh, wallet for uh, people that want to use Monero but don't want to run a full node. Um, and the nice thing is, it also will allow you to run a full node um, and then use the My Monero app and just point it to the full node that you run. Um, so you know that. It, sort of doesn't preclude people that do want to run a full node and have maximal privacy. Um, and they can still benefit from this fantastic slick mobile and desktop wallet. Um, and then over and above that, there are other things. There's protocol level stuff that we're doing, uh, like multisig, which um, up until very recently didn't exist in Monero and now actually has. Um, we've done the cryptography. We've done the, the implementation. Um, and that should be available in the coming months. And uh, and then there's a whole bunch of other cool stuff that we're uh, building out, like sub-addresses, where um, you can have uh, sort of once-off, almost throwaway addresses for things like exchange withdrawals or shapeshifts, um, where nobody can even correlate that it's going to the same address if they record um, all the withdrawals happening to a particular address. So, you know, lots of privacy enhancements and, and lots of sort of work and effort to, to make Monero easier to use. All right. So how can listeners, um, you know, download the Monero wallet and, um, you know, buy some? What exchanges are you on? Uh, unless they do it, I guess, in person. You know, where, where can they get Monero? How can they learn more about it and get the wallet? Sure. So the Monero website is getmonero.org. Um, so G-E-T and then M-O-N-E-R-O.org. Um, and on the Get Monero website, um, in the download section, it's got uh, links to the um, the official GUI and uh, and so on. Um, and it's the official GUI also really well designed. Um, it, the official GUI is also a full node, so the first time you use it, it will take like um, anything up to a couple of days to sync up. But once it's synced up, um, then it'll, it's super fast there on out. And over and above the official GUI, in terms of where you can get Monero, 
Um, I tend to encourage people to only buy Monero if they have an actual use for it because Monero's privacy only works if people use it. So, you know, buying it and sticking it in a, a safe somewhere and ignoring it doesn't help Monero's privacy. But yeah, I mean, if, if you have a, a use for it, whether it is to, to just use it as a private store of value or to use it to pay friends privately or whatever, pay anything privately, um, then that's obviously a fantastic use and that's what Monero is designed for. Um, and we're on pretty much all the big exchanges, um, Kraken, Bitfinex, Poloniex, uh, Bittrex, a whole bunch of others that end in the letter X. And you should be able to find Monero on, on most of those and, you know, go and buy a little bit and play around with it uh, quite easily. Well, very good. All right, Ricardo, I'm going to uh, thank you for coming. Just hold on because we'll pause, pause the recording after that. So thanks for coming, Ricardo. I really appreciate it. It's been a really interesting interview, and I'm glad that there's people out there that are doing what you're doing and that are privacy advocates and not just, uh, you know, throwing up their hands and saying, oh, well. <laughs> cool. Thanks very much for having me and uh, hope to chat again soon. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.